I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. One of the challenges with rare diseases is how different their effects can be from one person to another. In order to get a deeper understanding of the impact and variation of the rare autoimmune condition myasthenia gravis, Argenics launched My Real World MG, an app-based study that's collecting real-world longitudinal data from 2,000 patients over two years. We spoke to Deb Gelinas, Neuromuscular Executive Director at Argenics, about myasthenia gravis, the company's My Real World MG study, and how she hopes the data will provide new insights into the rare autoimmune condition. Deb, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about myasthenia gravis, Argenics, and its international real-world study of the condition and its impact on the lives of patients. Let's start with myasthenia gravis itself, though. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is it? Myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune neuromuscular disease driven by IgG autoantibodies that attack the neuromuscular junction. And when this occurs, it gives rise to weakness and functional disability. The weakness can affect many different areas. It may affect eye movements. It may affect speech or swallowing. It may affect your breathing, your arm function, or your leg function. And how does the condition manifest itself and progress? Well, in the majority of patients, it starts as an ocular um, or starts with your eye movements. And it may start with a drooping of the eyelid or occasional double vision. However, in 85% of patients, the condition will go on to generalize within two years. So although ocular is, is a common onset, it doesn't, gen it doesn't typically stay ocular. I know there's a reliable diagnostic test for the condition, but Given its systems can align with many other conditions, how difficult is it to get a correct diagnosis? Well, if you are seeing a neurologist, it certainly um, is not impossible. Neurologists are very familiar with this condition um, because it's really uh, the hallmark is fatiguing muscle weakness, so that the more you try to do something, the weaker you become. So typically, for instance, um, your voice may start off strong, but the more you try to speak, the weaker your voice becomes. Um, similar things may happen with regard to your limb function and your strength. Um, so in the setting of that fatigable muscle weakness, Neurologists know to test for a, a blood test, which is an autoantibody uh, myasthenia gravis panel, which is um, very quick to get a feedback uh, result and um, can be very definitive. 
Now, if you do not have an autoimmune antibody that can be identified, and some patients early on, the antibody level may be below the limit of testing uh, so that it's not detected. Um, in that case, the neurologist may need to do electrophysiologic testing to see if when your um, muscle is stimulated, when the nerve is stimulated, to see if your muscle responds less and less with repeat stimulation. That's called a decremental response. I have confidence in a neurologist being able to diagnose this condition, but I'm wondering what it takes a patient to know to get to a neurologist. Do physicians typically refer them immediately? Is there a, a lag in you know, looking at these systems, it's something that indicates the need to see a neurologist? I think that it very much depends upon your access to medical care in general. I think that some patients with some payer systems probably have easy access to a neurologist. I think other patients maybe find it much more challenging, and those patients may end up presenting to an emergency room because they may have extensive weakness by the time um, it is appreciated that they need to see a neurologist. In December 2021, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Argenix Vivigart to treat generalized myasthenia gravis. This was the first in a new class of therapies. What is it and how does it work? So um, Vivgart is a very unusual mechanism of action in that um, we've known for decades that myasthenia gravis is driven by IgG autoantibodies. However, um, it's been more recent that we have learned what, what controls the concentration of those IgG autoantibodies. And we now appreciate that the concentration of the IgG autoantibodies or any IgG antibody in our blood system is actually managed by a receptor that is on our cells called the FCRN receptor. Now, um, if an IgG antibody is bound to that receptor, then the antibody will get recycled back out into circulation. If the IgG antibody is not bound to that receptor, the antibody will get destroyed. So that our bodies have a natural homeostatic mechanism for managing the concentration of IgG antibodies. And um, so that Vidgard is using that natural homeostatic mechanism to actually increase the um, destruction of IgG antibodies so that instead of getting recycled back out into the circulation, fewer get back out into the circulation. And um, so we actually with Vivgard get about a 60% reduction in IgG antibodies. That is enough of a, of a deduction, a reduction, to actually get control over myasthenic symptoms, but at the same time, not so much of a reduction that you're going to end up with problems from not having enough IgG antibody. So it's actually, um, it's a drug that has a very favorable 
sort of risk benefit ratio with regard to how much it can give you control over your myasthenic symptoms and yet not give you um, terrible adverse events. How does that compare to other therapeutic approaches? Uh, it's very novel. It certainly was the first in its class. I think that um, it is going to uh, revolutionize the care of myasthenia gravis. Um, typically, for um, many decades, when, when I first started practicing um, neurology and treating myasthenic patients, the only uh, real way that we could control myasthenic symptoms was to use um, sort of a shotgun approach, which was just shut down the immune system on the whole so that we would use very high doses of steroids. And in those days, um, although steroids are effective and they do um, help improve myasthenic symptoms, there is quite a cost. And the cost of steroids has to do with how much you use and how long you're on steroids. So that um, over the years, I can honestly say I have been responsible for patients um, developing problems with glucose. I've been responsible for patients developing fractures um, because I was treating them with a medication that controlled their myasthenia, but at a high cost. Not and a high financial cost, but a high burden cost. And what's been shown from the studies to date on Vivigard? Uh, what's been shown to date is that um, if you have going by our trial, our randomized controlled trial, we were able to demonstrate that patients who had previously been managed with either symptomatic therapy, which is um, basically just trying to, uh, I could say the name of the therapy, but it's mestinon, that's symptomatic only, it works for just a few hours, or patients who were on more definitive immunosuppressive therapy with steroids or with non-steroidal immunosuppressive drugs that are typically used, for instance, in cancer and other conditions, um, we were able to show that when Vivgart was um, added to patients who were on either one of those medications or two or all three, that we were able to have a significant increase in uh, control over the disease, both um, an improvement in strength and an improvement in function. Argenics is working on a study to gather real world data to better understand the experience of people living with myasthenia gravis. This is being done in collaboration with several patient advocacy organizations in several countries. Why are you conducting this study? What are you trying to learn? So um, this study is actually something that we have been doing now for several years. At this point, we have baseline information from 841 patients who self-identify as having myasthenia gravis. These patients um, have an app on their phone called the My Real World MG app, and they're able to um, self-identify and put in information with regard to how severe their symptoms are, with regard to what medications they're on, trying to control their disease, as well as um, 
certain questionnaires that we ask, such as um, whether they rate their disease as mild, moderate, or severe, or even just purely eye ocular MG, um, how they rate their function with their MG ADL scale, um, their medications that they're on, how they rate their quality of life. Um, and we were able in many different countries to get some very interesting information based on these patients um, so that we have information from Europe, US, Canada, UK, and Japan. And um, we were really able to characterize just what the burden of myasthenia gravis is for patients. This is a, a longitudinal study. How many patients are you ultimately seeking to enroll? And is there a time you would expect to conclude this study? So the My Real World MG study has, um, we have already published our baseline uh, characteristics, results from 841 patients. But this is actually a two-year longitudinal study where we hope to have 2,000 patients, and we hope to be able to obtain serial data in terms of how the disease is affecting patients with regard to their function, with regard to their well-being, their quality of life, and, um, and for them to be able to share information about how they're managing it in terms of uh, what therapies they're taking. How do you expect the data to ultimately be used and will Argenix be the only ones with access to it or will others also have access to this data? No, this is um, actually, um, it's, it's, on, uh, it's, a, it's a research that's open access so that we've already openly shared what we have in terms of the baseline data. We have been um, not keeping it to ourselves, but actually trying to share it with the MG community in order to be able to appreciate the magnitude of suffering that patients with MG go through. Um, they suffer not only in terms of their physical strength, but they suffer in terms of the anxiety of having unpredictable symptoms, of being able to um, feel fully in control of their bodies one day and the next day to actually be so short of breath that they have to get to an emergency room and be put on a ventilator, for instance. This kind of lack of control over your function gives rise to tremendous anxiety and depression and an inability to actually fulfill one's roles in society, whether it's your role at work, whether it's your role as a homemaker, as a, as a caregiver, um, so that what we're hoping to do is to better characterize what the true burden is to a patient. Have there been any surprising findings yet from the study? Um, surprising to me, um, maybe not, because I've taken care of patients with this condition for many decades. But what we found was that um, Patients who self-identify as having more severe um, MG have more problems with um, diminished quality of life. They have more problems with their breathing, more problems fulfilling uh, functional roles. 
um, simple household tasks, activities of daily living, holding down jobs, uh, things like that. What does making use of this technology and having the close collaboration of patient advocacy groups on the project suggest about the changing ways biomedical research is being conducted today? I think more and more we want to hear the voice of the patient. I think that the days of going to the expert physician and saying, tell me about this disease, tell me what you think is the most uh, oppressive symptom of the disease. I think those days are actually um, increasingly over. And I think now what we're appreciating is um, something that honestly, I, I knew that my patients were short of breath. I knew that my patients were weak. I didn't appreciate that my patients were anxious and depressed. Um, I think that with this kind of outreach to patient advocacy groups and to patients themselves, we're really hearing about the magnitude of how a chronic autoimmune disease like myasthenia gravis, how it affects function and happiness and, and basically uh, humanity and role in society. Argenics has a, a broad pipeline across rare immune conditions. Do you expect this study to be a model for work you do in other areas? Actually, uh, very much so. We are seeking with every disease that we're um, studying to really characterize, uh, first of all, the burden of that disease on patients as they, as they are being treated today in order to be able to see um, how our potential therapeutics can reduce that burden and relieve suffering. Deb Gelinas, Neuromuscular Executive Director at Argenix. Deb, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.